Hello, and welcome to Playability, where we hold conversations at the crossroads of gameplay and accessibility. I'm your host, Rebecca Strang, and I'm joined today by Karen Cleveland, who is a biologist and works for the Michigan Department of Natural Resources. Today, we're going to talk about their educational nature game, What in the Wild? Welcome to the show, Karen. Hi, it's great to be here. Yeah, we're happy to have you. So can you tell me a bit about What in the Wild, what its development path was, how it came about, and what the primary goals of the game are? Yeah, it's actually something that came out of my last college degree that I decided to go back, get a degree in game design. And I was looking for projects to work on, talked to a colleague here who said, oh, yeah, we've got an elementary school curriculum. And I said, oh, that sounds really cool. And so kind of looked at it and decided, how can I turn this into something that's a game that can get played in the classroom or at home and is fun and you learn a little something from? And it turned into a game system, basically a deck with five games attached to it that kids and their parents can play and have fun learning about Michigan's wildlife. That's awesome. So what are the different types of games? You said there were five of them? Yeah. And part of this was based on it's for elementary school. So I don't want to get too complex and strategy rich. I want to work with things that kids might already be a little familiar with. So with the deck, there's kind of a riff on memory where you try to match up a species with its habitat components just by remembering where things are. There's one that riffs a little bit on dominoes, where you're trying to place things next to each other in a connection that makes sense with a species and its habitat needs. You kind of build a map out on the table of what a landscape might look like. That one actually is a cooperative game rather than a competitive game. There's different riffs on games that kids might have already been exposed to and be a little familiar with and comfortable with rather than trying to immerse them in something completely new. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So regarding games and game design, what does accessibility mean to you? Well, it's a little bit different because I'm in a government agency. And so we very much have to think about the Americans with Disability Act whenever we think about making things for outreach or objects for the public. And Mm -hmm. so we kind of very much start with, uh, okay, it has to be colorblind accessible as a baseline. We have to think about some of those things of how do we make it as easy to use as possible and remove as many barriers as possible under that act. But we also think beyond that of we are serving this broader citizenry. What are some of those other barriers that we have to deal with? And so, as I said, we are designing for kids. How do we think about the cognitive issues of kids from the ages of 5 to 11? And how do we accommodate what they're going to need to do this? Because we're working with classrooms, how can we make this something that's easy for teachers to bring into classrooms? We think about class length and things like that. And so it's very much about how many barriers can we remove beyond just the physical. It's the cognitive. It's the economic. It's the points of where access, where people can kind of connect with what we're making. Yeah. And five to 11 is quite a big span when you're talking about cognitive ability with kids. So it's great that you've got five different ways that a single deck can be used to bridge that gap. Well, and it was really kind of fun because even with some of those games, as I was play testing with kids, which trust me is kind of interesting. (laughs) (laughs) I was finding that if I was play testing with six and seven year olds and eight and nine year olds or 11 and 12 year olds, I was seeing very different kinds of responses and levels of interest. And so three of those games actually have variants 
that can make them longer or shorter or harder or easier so that it can kind of scale between five and 11 years old. And so what was the playtesting process like? If you're playtesting with kids, did you go into schools or libraries to do that? How did that work out for you? A lot of it very much started off, I kind of get lucky, I've got a lot of coworkers who have kids. So there was a lot of, oh, hey, how would you guys like to play test a game this evening? And some of the kids really got into it and wanted to play games over and over, which is very gratifying as a designer. Definitely. <laughs> but we did a lot of basically family-based play testing for most of the development because we want this to be a game that can translate into the home very easily. Sure. Once the games were working fairly well and it looked like things were going pretty smoothly, we actually did work with a second grade classroom and a fifth grade classroom here locally in the Lansing area and brought the games into the classroom and asked the teacher, can you please teach this so that we can watch how you teach this and how the kids interact with it? And God bless teachers is all I can say. <laughs> So are you, beyond the playtesting, have you worked with schools or libraries to now get them to incorporate the finished product into their lessons or programming? Well, since this was designed with our elementary school curriculum in mind, which is our Go Wild for Michigan's Wildlife, and is very much about learning about common species and learning about what habitat is, we developed a teacher's guide that accompanies the curriculum that you can use to incorporate the games directly into the classroom. And because our mission is not so much about making money selling games, but it's getting the outreach done, mm -hmm. we have been buying copies of the game to get into classrooms that are using the curriculum. And we've gotten some, some really positive feedback from teachers who opened up a box in the mail and discovered they've got a bunch of games to play with kids in their classroom now. That's awesome. And so for you, what's your favorite part of the game set? I will admit that Connect It, which is the Domino's Riff, is now my favorite. It was a thorn in my side all through development. I was trying to turn it into a competitive game. We've all played Domino's. You want to win. This is what Domino's is. And I never really kind of liked the way it was coming together. It was working, but it wasn't great. The kids liked it, but they weren't particularly selective in what they liked. Mm -hmm. And then brought it into the fifth grade classroom to play test it. And the kids basically ignored that it was a competitive game. They shared the cards with each other. They told each <laughs> other where to place the cards. I got back in my office that afternoon and I went, well, I guess this is a cooperative game. It's not a competitive game and kind of took some of the core elements, but redesigned the game to make it a cooperative game. And I have taught some kids how to play it since then. And I've watched some kids and the way that they light up at the puzzly pieces of it and they connect with where the species are in their habitat. And there's that garter snake. And this is what it needs. That is really cool to watch. <laughs> yeah, that is really cool. Um, so when you were choosing the different habitats and species that you got in there, what was the planning process like as far as what you were pulling into the game? We kind of got lucky in that our curriculum designer actually had a set of 19 species trading cards that she includes with the curriculum. And these are 19 species that are relatively common in Michigan. They're ones that kids in urban and suburban environments are probably going to encounter. So for Michigan, these are things that make sense like white-tailed deer and American robins and stuff like that. 
And so the design decisions right from the gate was those 19 species have to go into this. But then when you start thinking about relationships between species and food webs, and you realize that the bulk of these species are all herbivores, you kind of go, wow, this is a really flat, boring food web, and there's no plants. And so a lot of it was, how do we build out a web around those 19 species? And we actually brought colleagues together and we brainstormed up, well, what kind of species do we think we should show the kids? And how do we break this out into different species groups of birds and mammals and reptiles? And what kinds of plants might we want to put in there? One of the fun parts of that conversation was we were saying, oh, we want puffball mushrooms and we want some of these other really common mushrooms and fungi that we're all familiar with in there. And then we got into a debate of taxonomically where do these fit into the groups of the game? And it wasn't a blood feud, but there was a very strong debate of these can't go into either plants or animals <laughs> because they are neither. And we decided that, well, we're going to just table fungi in this game. So kids, enjoy your mushrooms, but we don't <laughs> have any in the game. Do you have any plans for future games where those things that had to be left out might be incorporated or expanding on the ideas that you have in the initial five? I had talked to my boss repeatedly as the kids in the playtest were coming back with ideas and said, oh, I can think of like another way we can take this deck <laughs> and another game we could build. And she thankfully has been the voice of reason and said, no, we're going to get this game out. And then we're going to get out a game for our middle school students. And then maybe later in a year or two, you can think about going back and touching that again. But we have to consider that a finished product. It's just way too tempting to just keep going back and playing with it some more. And yeah. I kind of hope that the kids and the families get excited by that as well. And they actually come up with their own little homebrew games for it. Yeah, that would be awesome. And have you started development for the middle school game yet? We have actually done quite a bit of play testing for the middle school game. The middle school game is all about bears and how bears navigate a landscape that's impacted by humans. And we've had a lot of kids that were really interested. It's very puzzly. It's very tile laying. It's another cooperative game. Uh, from a conservation perspective, we really want to foster a lot of collaboration and cooperation because that's how conservation works, more mm -hmm. so than a cutthroat competition. Yeah. And for that game, we're actually, the kids love the game. The game runs really too long for a classroom. So there's going to be two games in that box with the same components. One will be much shorter. One will be about an hour and a half to two hours long. But we've got an illustrator we're hiring this summer to come in and illustrate it. So we are looking at doing kind of finalized design on that in the near future, hopefully before the end of this calendar year. That's awesome. And I love the art that you have in What in the Wild. It's great that you've been able to have an artist do that work for you. It, it's super colorful and vibrant and, you know, it looks like something that kids would want to pick up. <laughs> We are so lucky having Chanel Anthony here on staff to mm. do graphic design. This is way outside our traditional products here as government agency, as a wildlife division. <laughs> and she kind of jumped in with both feet and came back with a whole bunch of ideas when I said, okay, here's my kind of ugly looking 
biologist design prototype that is, <laughs> it works, but it's not pretty. And she came back almost immediately ideas. We wanted it to look like the trading cards that we give out with the curriculum. Mm-hmm. And it very much complements that. It's, we love the black and the green, that dark contrast that worked really well for us. And the big challenge was getting all the photographs that when we talk about accessibility, the tendency for us when we think about forests and wetlands is to go to some really remote, pristine area to capture that. Mm -hmm. And most of the kids aren't going to see that around them. And so I was doing a lot of sort of adventuring around my office and my home. And when I was on vacation to kind of go, okay, can I find a forest that looks like there's people around? Um, Can I find a marsh that looks like there's people around? And so I was standing on a concrete culvert behind a pet store taking a picture of a retainment pond with a (laughs) traffic intersection in the background for our marsh picture to be able to say, no, marshes are things that you're going to see around you. Habitat is something that's everywhere. It's not way up north or way in the wild. Wildlife finds habitat everywhere. And Mm -hmm. to try to capture that in the photos so that the kids could really connect with, wait, this is something I can recognize. Yeah, that's fantastic that they can look in the game and see the world around them, which is exactly what you want them to do. (laughs) So what do you think when kids are playing this game, uh, this game set, what do you think makes it memorable for them? Part of what's really fun when I watch the kids play it is the way that they make up the stories to go along with it. Mm -hmm. They'll laugh about what is eating what when they're making those connections as far as it needs to meet its food needs. Oh, I'm going to have a raccoon eat a woodchuck. And you go, okay, (laughs) we all know that wouldn't really happen. And the kids laugh because they know it too. But it's great that they're sort of thinking about how that connection happens, Mm -hmm. even if they're laughing because they made something that's not quite 100% realistic. And so it's it's kind of cool to see that happen. We actually had had the fifth grade teacher who was playtesting for us. We gave him a prototype deck in advance so that he kind of play it and get a feel for the games. And he told us that he'd taken it home. He played it with his wife a little bit. And then he and his three-year-old went out in the yard with a deck of cards to try to find the things that were on the cards. And it's just really cool to hear about that kind of connection. Yeah, that is awesome. So for anybody who's listening who would be interested in getting a copy of the game, where can they find it? We are selling the game through The Game Crafter. And so to buy the game, just go to thegamecrafter.com and search for What in the Wild. And we've got that available as a print and play as well as a deck. So it's kind of whatever works for your budget. We'd love to just see it get in your hands. Awesome. And for people who'd like to keep up to date with what you're doing online, where can they find you on social media? Well, there's our agency accounts where we're going to be announcing any kind of work that we're doing with the games and what's going to be coming out soon. And on Twitter, that is MDNR underscore wildlife for the wildlife division. And on Facebook, that's Michigan DNR, all one word. 
Alrighty. Well, that sounds great. And we hope to see you guys come out with some more fun stuff soon too. Oh, and um, do you want to share your personal Twitter stuff too? Um, If folks want to talk to me about random game stuff, that's very silly. They can find me on Twitter (laughs) at Game Biologist. I can't promise that it will be particularly professional, but I do chat with folks there about games, game development, game design, and wildlife. Awesome. Yeah, there's all kinds of game chat on Twitter. So, (laughs) Well, and for our listeners, if you have any questions or comments that you'd like to share with us, please email us at playabilitypod at gmail.com. And you can find us on major social media platforms at playabilitypod. Thanks again for listening. And I hope this episode helps you play with a new perspective.